The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Inflation warning signs. New data out of China signaling just how high prices have surged in the past year. We are live in Beijing coming up. Crypto push and pull. After a rough day for Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Ether, and more, one U.S. watchdog is speaking out, warning on over-regulating the sector. And call it a lucky clover, the newest Reddit and Wall Street bets darling that has made one big-name investor a few hundred million dollars richer. Salvaging a deal, an 11th-hour effort by a small group of House lawmakers hoping to eke out a bipartisan infrastructure plan before the Democrats go it alone. And new data on just how bullish investors are despite rising anxiety over inflation, valuations, and more. It's Wednesday, hump day, June 9th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. Now, here's how stock futures are setting their day up. You can see here we are moving slightly higher implied for the opening bell, roughly three points higher for the S&P 500, 10 points higher for the Dow Jones and the Nasdaq up by about 25 points implied at the opening bell. Now, the S&P 500 hitting a fresh record intraday high yesterday, but failing to close at the record high. Any close, by the way, above 42.32, that's the level, would be a record today. The Nasdaq and Nasdaq 100 trying for four straight winning sessions as well. Checking on oil prices, continuing to trade at levels not seen since October of 2018. Currently, those prices $70.44 for U.S. benchmark crude. Your morning cryptocurrency check after a rough day for the sector overall. You can see their Bitcoin prices up about 3.5%. 34,000 and change right now. We'll have much more on Bitcoin's recent moves coming up. And a Wednesday morning meme stock check. You can see shares of GameStop up 1.5%. AMC, BlackBerry, Koss all down there, but Bed Bath & Beyond showing some fractional gains as well. And to the newest addition to the gang, Clover Health Investments, surging as much as 109%. Yes, a doubling yesterday before closing with an 86% gain. That is after a 32% pop Monday. Now, this morning, you can see up another 21%, $26.89 the last trade there for Clover Health. Now, to some of this morning's top stories. The Senate, late last night, passing one of the largest industrial bills in U.S. history, a bipartisan effort to ensure the U.S. remains competitive with the likes of China as a global technology powerhouse. Now, the bill, which passed 68 to 32 commits roughly $250 billion in funding for scientific research, subsidies, and chip makers, and, and, of course, overhauls the National Science Foundation as well. So that Senate 
moving in a bipartisan basis to pass a quarter trillion dollar plan to keep America competitive. El Salvador has become the first country to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. Yes, legal tender. The country's lawmakers overnight voting by a supermajority in favor of the Bitcoin law, which now allows for prices in El Salvador to be shown in, yes, Bitcoin. It also allows for tax contributions to be paid in Bitcoin and waives any capital gains taxes when it comes to the cryptocurrency. Bitcoin, again, up about 34,183. That's the last trade there. Now, speaking of Bitcoin, Republican SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce is speaking out against attempts by her colleagues to overregulate crypto markets. Speaking with the Financial Times, Pierce says if regulators take a more active role in the $1.5 trillion market, it could run the risk of discouraging new investment and innovation in the cryptocurrency industry. Well, fresh economic data out of China adding new fuel to the global inflation fear fire. Our own Yunus Yun joins us now from Beijing with the latest there on the read on producer prices, Eunice. And can China now really, Eunice, be exporting inflation to the rest of the world? Yeah, well, that's one of the big concerns, at least uh, among people who uh, watch the manufacturers here. Um, but in terms of those numbers, the Chinese producer prices surged to their highest level since 2008. So the PPI for May jumped by 9%. This is higher than the 6.8% gain that we saw in April, and also estimates for a rise of 8.5%. So part of that increase is because of the comparison to a low base from last year when manufacturers were struggling um, after the pandemic. Also, of course, uh, the rising costs of commodities uh, such as coal, steel, iron ore, and copper. Uh, those are big factors. Um, as I mentioned, though, some manufacturers here have been complaining about these ra- rising raw material costs as well as shipping costs and saying that they might have to start pushing those costs onto customers. So that is what's stoking the fear that Chinese manufacturers might, at the end of the day, have to, um, uh, you know, would be stoking and exporting um, inflation. But just when you think, Dom, that the policy here could change, that uh, the government might want to tighten the reins a bit um, on policy, not so fast. And that's because the consumer prices remained quite low at 1.3%, missing expectations of 1.6%. And because of that gap, uh, most people here who follow the economy think that uh, the policymakers are going to just keep um, steady with their uh, current policy for now. Still uh, looking to be data dependent. I'm sure many central bankers and governments are feeling the same way about those inflation numbers around the world. Eunice, while we have you, is there any reaction from Beijing on that $250 billion tech and manufacturing bill that just passed the Senate last night? We mentioned it's a lot of it to do with staying competitive with China, especially in technology. We know the U.S. and China have been locked in a very fierce battle when it comes to things like supercomputing and artificial intelligence, machine learning. Any reaction from the Chinese government with regard to that, that, that big bill being passed here? Yeah, well, the foreign ministry officially reacted and was quite critical, uh, saying that the U.S. Uh, really should stop painting China as a threat and was urging is urging the United States uh, not to promote this bill. But what's also interesting is that a Chinese official um, briefed reporters 
and、um, called the bill a big disappointment, and was also quite critical of the Biden approach,、uh, saying that the Biden administration's policies、uh, don't look as though they have a whole lot of daylight with the Trump administration's policy.、Um, this official was quite critical,、uh, saying that the、uh, Biden approach of competition and confrontation, coupled with cooperation, doesn't really work、uh, from the Chinese perspective, and also added. That、um, that that really going forward,、uh, the approach needs to be more about engagement. And if you remember,、uh, one of the key、uh, policy White House、uh, key policy、uh, makers、um, for Asia policy in the White House had、uh, said that the time now is not for engagement, but is for competition. And this official、um, was quite critical of that, saying that engagement is really the way forward when it comes to China. All right, a fast race for sure there. Thanks very much, Yunus Yun, live in Beijing with the latest there. Joining me now is BNY Mellon Investment Management Chief Strategist Alicia Levine. Alicia, I mean, I wonder you, you just heard Yunus's comments there. There's a lot of stuff happening in the markets right now with regard to how we handicap exactly who's going to come out on top, which economies are going to fare better. The markets are moving towards record highs in the U.S. They're trying to play catch up in other parts of the world. Is this still an environment that's constructive for everybody to benefit around the world in terms of markets, and will certain markets around the world be better positioned as a result of that? Well, Dom, good morning. It's great to see you back in the studio. I hope to join you soon.、Um, look, we think this is actually the sweet spot for markets globally because we don't necessarily have synchronized global growth here. But we have sequential, and that's actually pretty good for markets. So we're going to hand off growth first. China recovers now. The U.S. has recovered. We see Europe recovering soon behind in the next quarter, which is great for Euro- European markets. And you know, some emerging markets will lag, but ultimately they will get there. And, and the markets are telling you that. You know, the Indian and the Brazil markets are actually have been very steady, and even Brazil has reached a new high. In the last week or so, despite the terrible headlines, and what that tells you is that policy has really overwhelmed the fundamentals on the ground, and that markets are good. We like Europe here. We like Europe because we see the cyclical recovery, and the European markets are stock, you know, full of of, of energy, financials, and other manufacturing, much higher than the U.S. market. So,、uh, Alicia, it's funny because just about a year ago, there, there were some tongue-in-cheek comments coming from many parts of the market out there about the Fed. Not being able to produce a vaccine, the Fed is not the one that's going to cure the pandemic. Yet, whatever central banks have done around the world, it seems as though whatever policies have been made have kept markets not just stable but upward trending the entire time. It's counterintuitive. This is something in, in an environment where there's a virus pandemic that could shut down parts of the economy. This is not exactly what we would expect. Have the markets now gone too far, too fast? Given what we've seen in terms of economic slowdowns around the world because of the pandemic, look, it's a great point. You know, a year ago, fifty-five percent, fifty-five percent of global GDP was completely shut down, and markets were rallying because of the support. It's really extraordinary. I mean, this will be studied for a very, very long time, and how central banks really came to rescue a disaster here. I don't think markets have come too far at all, and as I said. We think the UK and we think the European markets look very good and poised for an inflection here. The US could soften, and the US could soften because 
they're mostly full of tech stocks. You know, the S&P is 35% tech, not just those five large cap tech, which make up about 23%, but it's much more than that. And we, we do see the risk to yields higher. Now, this morning, that's not the case. The market seems pretty sanguine about whatever inflation data we're going to get. But, of course, that just sets us up for another inflation scare. Um, and, and so, therefore, we see we see that those deep cyclicals will continue to work and the reflation, right, the, the sectors that are going to be levered to higher inflation. Because even if we don't get a really runaway inflation like the 1970s, which is also not our base case, you're still going to wind up in a higher inflationary world. And that has real implications for all asset classes and for sectors. So we still like deep cyclicals here and deep value. And we're we cautious, not saying to sell your growth stocks, but just be aware they're not going to drive performance this year. Alicia, we've, we've got a few moments left here. So, so, so in the past, the way that you hedge against inflation is to go towards big tech and growth oriented stocks, because that was the way that you would you would keep up with inflation. If there is inflation down the line, isn't that a tailwind? Shouldn't that be a tailwind for tech and media companies because of that kind of environment? Do the traditional thoughts hold? It's a good point. This is a timing issue. And as we know, it's very, very hard to time the market. So I'd say this. I'd be careful on the more speculative names, the ones that rely on rock bottom interest rates in order to get enormous multiples on revenue. And you have to focus on the companies that are levered to the economy, somewhat cyclical in nature, and that really grow regardless, right? Cash flow regardless, margins regardless. And those are the companies you should be owning because it is true at the end of this, you know, too too much inflation could inhibit growth. So it is timing. We never recommend to completely. You should be fully allocated and you should have a diversified portfolio. But I'd be careful on the, specu- on the speculative side here. I, I think there's more downside there. All right. Alicia Levine, BNY Mellon, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks, when we come Tom. back on the show, where's the beef? The two new stocks getting some love from Reddit and Wall Street bet traders. Yes, that's the company. Plus, passing costs on to consumers. The latest company forced to deal with rising raw material prices. And then later on, engine problems at Lordstown Motors has that stock sinking in the pre-market. Down 2% right now. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers, four stock stories of the morning. 
First up, Sherwin-Williams, the company raising its sales and profit outlook for the second quarter and the full year on strong demand for paint and other products. But it also says rising costs for raw materials have forced it to raise prices, those shares down 1% pre-market. Next up, Amazon is fielding offers to replace J.P. Morgan as the issuer of its co-branded credit card. Bloomberg reporting American Express and Synchrony Financial are among those bidding on that portfolio. J.P. Morgan could fetch a 15% premium if it's replaced as the partner on the portfolio, which has more than $15 billion in credit card loans. Third, shares of Lordstown Motors are falling after the electric vehicle maker warned there's, quote unquote, substantial doubt it'll be able to continue as a going concern. That's due to problems with funding production of its pickup truck. Lordstown also recently warned it was at risk of being delisted for missing a regulatory filing deadline. And fourth, Wendy's is up again today after surging 25 percent yesterday the fast food chain becoming the latest popular stock on social media. Several posts on Reddit toying with the notion Wendy's is a stock worth taking, quote unquote, to the moon. Many also joking the best reason to support the stock is Wendy's edgy Twitter account that likes to roast followers. Those shares up five and a half percent on top of yesterday's gains right now in the pre-market. Well, still on deck for the show, results from Investopedia's latest reader survey and the spiking interest on meme stocks and shorting strategies. Today's big number, $56.5 billion. That's how much credit card debt Americans have paid off during the first quarter of this year, building on a record-setting 2020, according to personal finance website WalletUp. The average household balance is still over $7,500. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back. Worries over potential bubbles in the market not stopping investors from staying the course when it comes to their investments. That's one of the key takeaways from the latest Investopedia survey of its more than one million readers. For more on the takeaways, the key ones, I'm joined by Caleb Silver. You know him. He's the editor in chief over at Investopedia. Caleb, I mean, we talk about bubbles all the time. We know investors know what they are. We know where they kind of think they're showing up. But give us the numbers. Just how much of a bubble are we talking about in certain parts of the market? Yeah, great to be with you, Dom. And we've been surveying our readers, our newsletter readers, for the past 15 months. And no matter what, these readers have remained bullish. But they're feeling bubbles. 44% say they're bullish despite the bubbles everywhere. 63% say that we they feel that we are in a bubble. 59%, Dom, say that they feel the market is overvalued, but only about a third are making changes there to their portfolio. So they're grabbing the wheel with both hands here as they try to steer through a lot of this volatility, especially among the meme stocks, especially among cryptocurrencies, but they're invested in both. So, so ju- just how invested are they? I mean, among your reader base, among your newsletter base, There has to be this notion that there are other asset classes out there besides just meme equities or cryptocurrencies, but just how heavily 
invested are those particular folks over at Investopedia into things like Bitcoin and Dogecoin and AMC Entertainment and GameStop? Sure. Uh, this is a pretty diverse crowd. So 1880 across the country with portfolios on average of about $100,000 or more in investable assets. So they hold blue chips, they hold dividend paying stocks, they hold muni bonds, and they also own crypto and, uh, and meme stocks. But in the past year, People have doubled. A lot of our readers have doubled their exposure to cryptocurrencies. Only about 9% held it at the beginning of the year. About 18, 20% hold it now. In terms of the meme stocks, a few people have gotten promiscuous with it and added it to their portfolios. But in general, these are blue chip uh, investors who like Apple, who like Amazon, who like a lot of the companies you see in the Dow 30 and a lot of the mega cap stocks. But lately, they've also been adding some Ford and some ExxonMobil. In terms of the meme stocks, though, they have been looking at them and watching what's happening. And we're watching anxiety rise among our readers. We measure that through the Investopedia Anxiety Index, which measures their search uh, volume around fear-based terms. And, Dom, they've been looking up terms like naked shorting, short selling, uh, trading halts, obviously, because of what's happened with some of these meme stocks. So anxiety has been rising among our readership in the past few weeks. It's at a three-month high, nothing like it was back in March, but it is bubbling up as a lot of these meme stocks go on these wild rides. Caleb, we're showing some of the stats right now on top spiking articles, you know, over this past week, you know, a 7,000% increase in naked shorting interest, you know, a death cross definition, 2,500%. And by the way, can we show the chart that we just showed with the anxiety in It's creeping up, but it's nowhere near the levels that we saw earlier this year when the meme stock frenzy was going kind of crazy with regard to what's happening now. Is that maybe an indication, perhaps, that things can still go higher despite the anxiety that you're citing right now? Oh, absolutely. We saw a lot of anxiety even in April, May, and June of last year when the markets were recovering and sprinting higher out of, the, out of that bear market. So anxiety goes both ways, and it does measure market-related fear-based terms like naked shorting, like short selling, but it also measures uh, terms around the economy. So uh, a recession could be in there. But we're seeing right now the anxiety is around the market-based terms because so many of our readers and people who don't regularly read Investopedia are pouring in to figure out what it means to short sell a stock, what it means when somebody's naked shorting. Maybe I blame Melissa Lee who brought that up the other day for that, but there's a lot of interest around these fear-based terms in terms of what could happen to these meme stocks because whether or not they're invested in them, I think our readers believe and a lot of folks believe that these meme stocks are driving a lot of the sentiment in the overall market. Hey, so Caleb, before we let you go, just a few seconds left here. How does this resolve itself with your readers and your viewers out there? I mean, is is this a sign of the top? No, it could be. We've seen this before in in different asset categories. We saw it in crypto. We saw it in stocks uh, at the beginning of the recovery last year and certainly back in February. This resolves itself. There's going to be probably a little bit of a washout here, but our readers are smart. They're looking at what's happening across the market. And as you say, they're not all invested in meme stocks or crypto. They do have more exposure. This is like any other market cycle, just a lot more heat underneath it, Dom. Heat's a very, very relative term there. Caleb Silver at Investopedia. Thank you very much, sir. We appreciate it. Thank you. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines as well. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest Good Wednesday morning. Philip. Good morning to you, Dom. President Biden will begin his first overseas trip as commander in chief this morning. Over the next week, he will travel to three countries and attend several summits with world leaders, including a high stakes meeting with Russia's Vladimir Putin. 
The CDC has eased its travel recommendations for more than 100 countries. The new ratings take 61 countries out of the most restrictive level four category, which advises against all travel, even if you're vaccinated. The United States has been lifted out of that category as well. Some other places that move from level four to level three include Japan, France, South Africa, and Canada. This means the risk is still high, but there's no avoid all travel advisory for vaccinated people. And have you encountered the cicada invasion yet? Billions of the bugs are wreaking havoc across 15 states and D.C., and they're causing some big problems, especially for drivers. In Ohio, an amorous cicada is being blamed for causing a car crash. Police say the insect flew through an open window, hitting the driver in the face and sending his car careening into a utility pole. Thankfully, that driver only suffered minor injuries. Get ready to rock out with the Foo Fighters. The iconic band will play at Madison Square Garden on Sunday, June 20th. Because of times like these, only fully vaccinated fans will be allowed to attend. The Father's Day show will mark the Garden's first concert in over 460 days. And Dom, it has been ever long, but finally, concerts are coming back. It feels like just a little bit more back to normal. And I would say this, Philip, I just got back from a family vacation in the Bahamas, and it felt like everything was back to normal. Masks in indoor places, but other than that, people were enjoying themselves. It felt kind of like normal. Great to hear. All right. Thank you very much. Now, when we come back on the show, we have much more ahead. Keep it right here. We'll see you in just a few minutes. Stocks stuck in a holding pattern, cryptos try to regain some lost ground, and Reddit traders fall in love with a new meme. A new infrastructure deal taking shape on Capitol Hill as a bipartisan group brings its plan to the table, details on their proposal's price tag, and the IRS reportedly launching an investigation into the release of that sensitive tax information of a number of high-profile wealthy Americans It is Wednesday, June 9th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning, and here is how stock futures are looking. We are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. We are pointing towards steady, maybe even modest gains in the market overall. You can see there the Dow Jones implied lower by just about 11 points, but the S&P implied higher by roughly two points and the Nasdaq up by about 16 at the opening bell. Two sectors to watch this morning. Biotechnology first, the, quite the run this week. The ETF, the XBI, already up about 5.5% so far. The IBB, which is another big biotech ETF, is nearly that much higher as well. This on the heels of Biogen's huge run-up in that stock. On the Alzheimer's news there, you can see there both of those on a one-week basis moving higher. And Biogen down fractionally in the pre-market trade after a big run over the last couple of weeks here. And a real estate sector continuing to tick higher as well. That group up, you can see they're up about roughly 24% this month, up about a half a percent for the ETF in the pre-market trade as well. We are, by the way, trading at all-time highs for the real estate sector in the S&P 500. To the morning's top stories now. A bipartisan group of House members are working to keep hopes alive for a potential infrastructure deal. The Problem Solvers Caucus announcing an agreement on nearly $762 billion in new spending over the span of eight years. 
coupled with the $487 billion it anticipated spending. That brings a total package to $1.2 trillion below President Biden's latest offer of $1.7 trillion. The IRS is reportedly investigating the release of tax information for a number of wealthy Americans. The move comes after ProPublica published details about the apparent income and tax payments by business leaders, including Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, and more. Taxpayer information is confidential, and there are potential criminal penalties for IRS employees or others who release this kind of information. And Thor Industries says it's seeing sustained demand for its products even as COVID restrictions ease. The recreational vehicle maker's CEO, Bob Martin, telling Jim Cramer on last night's Mad Money that it's racked up $14 billion in backlogged orders, up from just under $11 billion back in January. Martin says Thor is pretty much sold out for the next year of its RVs. Thor Industries up about 25 percent year to date, up another 1 percent in the pre-market trade. Well, the CEO of Colonial Pipeline is back in the hot seat again today, set to appear before lawmakers after getting grilled yesterday in a Senate hearing on the ransomware attack on his company. Joseph Blunt defending that decision to pay hackers holding his company hostage. Eamon Javers has more on what to expect in day two of these hearings. Good morning, Eamon. Good morning, Dom. Joseph Blount went to the Senate yesterday to defend his decisions on two fronts. One, uh, the initial decision to shut down the Colonial Pipeline, why he made that call. And then two, why he made the controversial call to simply pay off the hackers here. Millions of dollars going from an American company to a criminal organization. The senators wanted answers on all of that. But he laid out what his view of the worst case scenario, just how bad things were getting on the East Coast in terms of the gasoline shortages and how bad they might be. Here's what he said. We already started to see pandemonium going on in the markets, people doing unsafe things like filling you know, garbage bags full of gasoline or people fist fighting in line at, at the, uh, the fuel pump. The concern would be what, what would happen if it is stretched on beyond that amount of time. He also said he was worried about the availability of jet fuel for travel and concerned about the availability of fuel for first responders, police, fire, ambulance, all of those all up and down the East Coast. That, he said, is why he made the decision to simply pay off the hackers and get the crypto uh, key back in order to unlock his systems. He said that key ultimately did work, although it was not a perfect solution to the problem that he had. He was also asked, why can't you simply operate a pipeline manually? Why not just turn some dials and valves and turn that thing back on? He said, you know, there's a real generation gap there. Take a listen. A lot of those people that did operate Colonial Pipeline and other infrastructure in America historically manually, they're retiring or they're gone. Fortunately, we still have that last bit of that generation, which allowed us to do what we did during this particular event. So it sounds like it was the old timers to the rescue, Dom. Uh, and that's one thing that companies are going to have to be considering as we move into this ransomware era is how in a digital age do you preserve some of those analog capabilities so you can get your company back up and running 
physically, manually, if not. One thing that they actually advise is keep all of the phone numbers for emergency contacts that you need to have, keep those on a piece of paper. Don't keep them in your, fo in your phone or keep them in your computer because when you're hacked, you won't have access to any of that, Dom. All right, so, Eamon, I mean, let's go the other end of the spectrum from analog. We also have reports now that the FBI has managed to claw back and recover some of the ransomware that was actually paid in cryptocurrency. Can you take us through how exactly or what exactly the FBI did? Or are they being forthcoming with how, how much they got back, how they actually got it back from the dark side hackers that, that, that kind of attacked Colonial Pipeline? Yeah, they're not telling us everything about this, but they are saying that they had a court order in Northern California that helped them do this. And they were able to claw back a lot of the Bitcoin that was paid by Colonial. Not all of it, though, but a large portion of the Bitcoin, they say, uh, was crossing U.S. legal jurisdiction in some form. And so therefore, they were able to get it back uh, using technological means. Exactly how they pulled that off, uh, not entirely clear. But no one should be surprised that Bitcoin is traceable by, the law, by law enforcement and U.S. U.S. intelligence. You know, Bitcoin is a public ledger. You can follow the Bitcoin wallet. The address of the Bitcoin wallet to which the ransom was paid uh, was widely available. I had some uh, sources in the cybersecurity community send me the address, you know, and I'm not ter terribly sophisticated technologically. So if I can get it, certainly, uh, you know, the DOJ can get it. Uh, the question is, is that replicable? Uh, it appears that it is. It appears that in other cases, they will be able to do this same maneuver and get some of that uh, Bitcoin ransom back if, if, they have the U.S. legal jurisdiction that's in the appropriate way, and that's not always going to be a guarantee, Dom. All right. Where there's a will, there's a way on the government side and the hacker side as well. Eamon Javers, live in D.C. with the latest there. Thank you very much you for that. The ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline is far from the only one to occur this year, with other high-profile companies like Microsoft, JBS, getting hit as well. Joining us now for a look at the U.S. cybersecurity infrastructure is Meg King, director of the Science and Technology Innovation Program at the Wilson Center. She's also a former international manager for the Cooperative Threat Reduction Program at the U.S. Department of Defense. Meg, you've got a lot of credentials and expertise about this. How could something like this happen? Sadly, very easily. All it takes is one weak link, and if you're not constantly uh, testing your system and looking, as they say in this InfoSec community, under rocks, then this is going to continue to happen absent a couple of very important international agreements on ransomware um, by governments that are allowing these actors to carry out attacks from within their borders. So, so from a critical infrastructure standpoint, I mean, I, I've referenced it before. This is very Hollywood-esque. There was a diehard movie about it one time about using and attacking cyber infrastructure as well. This is something that we're going to be dealing with for, for years, decades to come. What needs to be done and what's the critical infrastructure that needs to be protected aside from our energy and pipeline assets? Well, there's a long list of about at least 16, and they range from the finance sector to chemicals to healthcare to food and water. Um, we are a really big country with a thriving private sector that runs most of those pieces of critical infrastructure. And as referenced in the hearing yesterday, and I'm sure will come up again today, each of those organizations increasingly relies on computer networks. So the scale is immense. And complexity is the enemy of cyber defense. The more tools and applications layered on top of these systems, and we've seen that increase exponentially during COVID, the harder it is to keep track of. 
All you need, as I mentioned, is one vulnerability that a bad actor can exploit to get into the system. And the trick is to make sure that bad actors can't get any further. And some companies are getting better at that than others. But we really need to change the mindset for these companies. It's a good thing that we had the CEO of Colonial testifying yesterday and today, and he was very forthcoming about what he did and didn't do. There were some obvious things that most in the cybersecurity community would probably um, take issue with and suggest that they may pay uh, closer attention to. So, for example, he said he wasn't sure if they were part of one of those information sharing advisory councils where groups within these critical infrastructure sectors share information about some of the threats that are um, being posed against their specific sector. And that's a really good way to make sure you are staying on top of the threats you would be facing specifically in the food sector, in the energy sector, et cetera. So, so Meg, uh, I, I want to lean on some of your Defense Department expertise here. It wasn't that many years ago that the U.S. Army was putting advertisements out there about the future of cyber warfare. It kind of feels like this really hit home and, and that was kind of prescient. How long before we see real active involvement from the U.S. military on the front lines publicly defending our country against cyber threats like this? Well, so the U.S. Department of Defense is engaged when necessary, um, but there is a very um, strict line that is drawn because we have the rule of law in this country, and unfortunately, many of our adversaries don't. Uh, We have some very strong capabilities in the private sector as well as in the Department of Defense. And I think that that um, is something that most people forget, is that even if we had our our best um, cyber actors in this country uh, addressing some of the threats that we are seeing, we still need to sit side by side with the private sector. And so I don't think the military is going to take the lead anytime soon and only when in very specific circumstances. And we want to keep it that way because it is a a very gray line that we want to keep in place. All right. Meg King at the Wilson Center. Thank you very much for your thoughts. We appreciate it. Coming up on the show, the Reddit crowd crowning a new fan favorite. Our own Kate Rooney breaks down just how the burned short sellers got this latest go around. We are back in a moment. Welcome back. As we've discussing this past hour, the Reddit traders have found a new favorite in shares of Clover Health. And as we've seen before, that means bad news for those who had been betting against the stock. Those shares up another 17% pre-market today after it being up nearly 200%. Yes, 200 over the last week alone. Our own Kate Rooney joins us now with more on that story. And Kate, this is a crazy amount of money being lost. Just how bad have the shorts been burned this week? Hey, Dom, great to see you. Good morning. Yeah, it really hasn't been a great week to be betting against this stock or a lot of those other meme stocks for that matter. Shares of Clover Health, this is the Medicare insurance startup, jumped more than 85% alone on Tuesday. It was the most mentioned stock on Reddit's Wall Street Bets Forum, which now has about 10 million members. And one thing that tends to really attract these so-called YOLO or you only live once traders is heavy short interest. When they see a large amount of investors betting against a company, they often try to gang up and prove them wrong and make some money in the process by piling into the other side of that trade. Reddit traders know this tactic pretty well after GameStop in January. And this week, they've been encouraging each other to take advantage of that short interest in Clover. 
About 44 percent of Clover shares are sold short. That's according to data from S3 Partners. That is more than double what AMC or GameStop has. And they've been adding to those positions lately. Over the last 30 days, the amount of Clover shares shorted went up by about 25 percent. And as shares rallied on Tuesday, short sellers lost an estimated $500 million just in a day. These bears could also be adding some fuel to the rally this week in what's known as a short squeeze. When these heavily shorted stocks suddenly jump, the people who bet against those are forced to buy back the shares and close out those positions to cut some losses. Meanwhile, rallies in AMC and GameStop shares this week added to recent pain for the short sellers this year. Uh, t- so far, the losses have climbed to $7.3 billion for GameStop short sellers and $4.5 billion for those betting against AMC. Don, back to you. So, so, so Kate, I mean, Clover, I, I, I say this because Clover is backed by none other than social capital CEO turned SPAC star Chamath Palihapitiya. He's coming off quite the day, but there's still a lot of ground to make up for some of these SPAC stocks that Chamath has been involved in. That's right. Yesterday was a huge day for Chamath. Uh, One of the big numbers, he had a $16 million investment in Clover Health. In that SPAC, they took Clover Public through a sort of blank check merger. That is now worth $680 million. That is on paper. So the big question here, will he hold on? His uh, lockup period expired earlier this month. So one of the questions a lot of retail investors have Will Chamath and Social Capital hold on to those shares? Will they sell as they did in March uh, for Virgin Galactic? But he has been seen as sort of, I mean, one headline called him the Pied Piper of SPACs. He has been almost a celebrity when it comes to taking companies public in this way. But a huge day. You also had companies like SoFi, Virgin Galactic did pop yesterday. A lot of his other bets. But as you mentioned, making up ground, we had Clover, for example, really underperforming since February. There were some headlines, one short seller Report really hit uh, shares of Clover Health, Hindenburg, if you remember, um, and potential issues with the DOJ. They have come out against that. Shares have recovered. So he's um, he is making up some ground for the losses he saw in February. So we'll see if those hands are diamond or cubic zirconia, so <laughs> exactly. to speak. Exactly. Lettuce uh, hands is exactly, another uh, right, reference something like I've that. <laughs> Kate, we're also getting set for GameStop earnings. Speaking of those meme stocks and it's investor day as well. Anything that we should be expecting out of the normal, maybe a retail investor reach out akin to AMC and what they did. I mean, the CEO there is basically saying, hey, get free popcorn and perks if you're a retail shareholder of AMC. Yeah, a lot of these companies really have been reaching out to the retail shareholder. And for GameStop in particular, the majority of its shareholders are individual retail investors. They know that they tend to speak or Ryan Cohen, the chairman, tends to speak to that shareholder base. He will be voted in officially. It's expected today at the shareholder meeting as chairman. There are some board seats, executive compensation, so sort of -of run-of-the-mill things on the shareholder side. On the quarterly results side, it's interesting. You talk to analysts, people say the numbers really don't matter here as far as the stock price is concerned. They've been completely divorced from fundamentals, at least since January. The Reddit traders are way more focused on the future for GameStop, this turnaround plan, sort of shifting to an e-commerce tech strategy versus what happened in the first quarter, barring, you know, some sort of disaster. It's really about the future, any hints of a turnaround, tech, e-commerce and things like that, whatever Ryan Cohen is tweeting. Although last quarter, no Q&A on the call. It was sort of tame. I think a lot of the Reddit crowd was a little disappointed by uh, what came out on the uh, analyst call for 
at least the analysts got. Yeah. All right. Kate Rooney with the latest there. Thank you very much. As we head out to break, June is Pride Month. All month long, we'll be spotlighting CNBC contributors, business leaders, and our own CNBC anchors and producers. Here is Goldman Sachs, Managing Director of Corporate Communications, Maybe Diwali. The way around stigma is through encouragement and support by those around you. I was very fortunate that when I decided to come out at Goldman Sachs exactly two years ago, I had that support from my colleagues. But there was one colleague in particular who sent me flowers on that day. This was a straight cisgender person. And that gesture, knowing that I had the support of somebody at the highest level of the firm, made all the difference to me. Welcome back. Stock futures are mixed right now as the major averages sit just below their record highs. Investors are waiting on fresh inflation data that's due out tomorrow. Joining me now is John Stolfus, Oppenheimer Managing Director and Chief Investment Strategist. And John, the markets are at record highs. Are they justified to be there? Uh, we've got to say they, they likely are justified uh, at being there. If you look at the major averages, uh, when, we, when we consider where interest rates are now, the process of an economic recovery anticipated in the U.S., and earnings uh, at, uh, you know, record levels, of course, at record levels because of the comparisons with last year. So if those comparisons are there, we know that they're easy comps. Investors should be thinking about that when they're putting up these kind of bids in the marketplace right now. What exactly then is the justification for a bull market that hypothetically could keep going? Well, we think that it's, it happens to be the particular era we're in, which is uh, an era that is, uh, is, it has momentum behind it because of technology and what it does for all the 11 sectors. It's what it does for, for business, what it does for the, the consumer, uh, and was, it just showed us what uh, technology could do uh, based on what we've seen thus far with the vaccines that were produced in, uh, for, for the U.S. market. Uh, as well as for the ability of many segments of our economy, not only to survive, but even thrive during the pandemic. John, does that mean that you were a fan of technology stocks or the sector overall? Because it seems as though many experts in the marketplace right now are, are taking less of a shine to tech and comm services. Absolutely. Uh, uh, without a doubt on both counts. We remain uh, very positive on technology. We think you want to own a diversified portfolio that represents both growth and value, essentially a barbell. Uh, we'll look for growthier value, and we, were look, we will look for garpier or growth at a reasonable price technology. So, you know, we're not looking at the meme stuff. We're not looking at the frenzy stocks and technology. We're looking for stocks that, that can pay a dividend, that have a good history of it, good product line, good management, and have shown their ability to go through pretty tough times. So we like tech, we like consumer discretionary, industrials and financials. And of course, you got to own some materials, right, when you're in a reopening phase. So, 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 John, can you we've got just about a minute left here. Take us through what parts of the market represent that kind of GARP or growth at a reasonable price or, or value-ish growth that you were talking about. Are there certain industries within technology? Is it semiconductors? Is it cloud computing? I mean, what is it? We think we think you've got to look at within the the semiconductor space. We we think uh, within software there you you can find value, and it's going to be in the big names, the big names that touch you when you when you consider where you are in business. Open up your computer, look at what what platforms you're on. Take a look where your subscriptions are linked to. 
the big names. We can't help but think they look good. And we still like small and mid caps because we're in a reopening phase. Sure, there are challenges. We've got problems with this vaccine, uh, not with our vaccine, but with vaccines apparently in China. They've got uh, variants there that they're dealing with. Very concerning supply chain problems. But this is these are times when technology can lead us out. Right. All right. John Solfus, thank you so much for your thoughts. We appreciate it, sir. Well, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage near market record highs. Squawk Box is coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.